at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, Syracuse 110 football games, and uh, Happy New Year by the time you listen to this. Yeah, Happy New Year indeed. This is uh, this has been a weird but another fun year of Syracuse athletics. Uh, Syracuse football won 10 games for the first time in 17 years. Uh, the Orange men's basketball team managed to piss everybody off again by getting an unlikely inclusion into the field and then getting all the way to the Sweet 16. Uh, women's basketball team made the NCAA tournament again. The men's soccer team got back to the NCAA tournament. Softball team made the NCAAs for the first time in a while. The volleyball team, I think, made it for the first time ever. Um, men's lacrosse. Made it once again as the women's lacrosse. Uh, some disappointing finishes there, but nonetheless successful because they made the postseason. Uh, the cross country uh, streak ended in terms of uh, team success, um, winning ACC titles. But you know, Paige Stoner, Justin Knight, and plenty of others um, had plenty of success this year um, for the uh, Orange Track and Field group as well. I'm sure I'm forgetting some teams in there, but um, those are just the kind of like very quick hit highlights. I think Dan. Yeah, I'd say, like, if you weigh things a bit towards, like, how the football team did this year, because that's so so very important, and then to- toss in some of these other things, like, it's got to be one of the more overall successful years we've had, um, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, these last five years in particular have been, um, you know, we've had a couple national championships in there, but uh, mostly just a high level of success across the board. And like I said, when you start seeing uh, teams like the volleyball team being able to come up, and, you know, start punching above their weight and becoming, you know, nationally relevant. Like, stuff like that is just, it's it, it's where you and I have talked about this before. I'll give I'll give Daryl Gross credit for understanding that. But, you know, it, it didn't come to fruition with all those teams really um, becoming better and, and more successful and well-rounded um, until after he departed. Yeah, I was going to bring up Gross, too. Like, he gets a lot of pretty well-earned derision. Um, but the, the advancement of like the overall uh, athletics profile, um, I think does fall pretty heavily on him, not all of him, because it's not, like you said, it's, it's really come to roost after he left. But before he got to SU, we were like pretty, we were like very pit-ish in terms of like where most of our sports were. And he definitely, uh, he definitely upped the, the ante for most of the non-revs, which, um, you know, it's not everything, but it's nice to have like a well-rounded program where you always have something to root for and some like greater uh kind of less you know it's, it's nice to not just be dedicated to football and basketball and then like have nothing else to like represent your university um especially when you have like guy like justin knight who is an all-world probably in the top i mean top five might be being conservative like syracuse athletes of all time yeah i would definitely agree with that and i think this this move was worked out pretty well with our move to the acc where you know, now we're competing with a lot of really well-rounded athletic programs. I mean, Notre Dame, UVA, um, I, I think for the most part, like, we've been able to not surpass UVA, but as UVA picks up a lot of you know, titles in fencing and crap like that. But um, I, I do think that, you know, where, where we kind of benefit um, 
over UVA is that while we compete for some of those and, and do win some of those, um, you know, quote unquote, lesser um, national championships, uh, our football team has been pretty damn good now this year. Uh, the basketball team uh, has managed to beat UVA in the NCAA tournament in recent years. Um, we don't lose to 16 seeds. Um, that, that's, that, that's a thing we don't do. Um, but yeah, I, I think that um, SU definitely timed this all right uh, to become more of, a, of an ACC program um, from, from a you know, total athletic standpoint. So I'm happy about that. Hope it continues um, because you know, that's how we're going to be able to elevate the status of, of this athletic program, the status of this athletic department, and, and, and just the university in general. Um, getting you know, a, a more well, well-rounded, I think, picture um, to present to prospective students that you know, we're not just a basketball and football school. We're not just a school that focuses on a couple of revenue sports. We have like, a rich athletic history t- t- completely down the line. Yeah, pretty much everything. Like, we don't have a ton of sports because we are a private school. We're in upstate New York. Like, there are a lot of limiting factors, but we've been at least like, pretty competitive in everything that we do um, over the last like, six or seven years, which is really cool. Agreed, agreed. Um, one of the most notable things that has happened in the last year, uh, Syracuse won the Camping World Bowl. Uh, they went 10-3 and this year. Uh, it was not something that anyone expected before the season started, and you can't convince me otherwise, <laughs> but that's fine. Um, I said 6-6. Six and six. A lot of people said worse, and you know what? We're, we're, we're all happy to be wrong together. Um, I'll, I'll very much take the 10-3 and three record. We'll probably finish somewhere near the top 15 or so. Um, that's in and of itself pretty amazing. Um, I, I think the schedule helped there, obviously. Uh, a senior, not a senior heavy team, because that's not a fair characterization, but uh, a senior team in the right spots um, really helped there. And also having a West Virginia team that really just didn't come to play. Um, you know, I, I think that we kind of messed around for a half, but I, I was happy to see us really pull away in that fourth quarter. Um, and, and put this game away, considering I do think we, we did outplay the Mountaineers for, for much of the, the evening. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was an interesting game, and I think it, it actually kind of summed up the season pretty well, where you know Syracuse didn't have 10 wins, I think, up to the outside. will probably look like you know a, a candidate for like serious regression, or like it was, you know, there were some fluky things. But honestly, like Syracuse won 10 games without always playing its best football. Um, you know, there were a couple of games where they came out really, really strong. There were some games they, they kind of struggled to wins, like like UNC. Um, but, like, this, I thought this this was a very much a 10-win football team, and you could, like, complain about Greer being out or whatever. But Syracuse, I think, played, like, their B game, and they looked better to the top, from top to bottom than West Virginia. And, like, I didn't think Jack Allison was horrible. He wasn't great. He wasn't very effa- uh, accurate, but he wasn't, like, you know, unplayable. Dungy was fine, but probably had one of his... I'd say bottom half games this year. Um, so Second half was, was lights out, though. Yeah, his efficiency ended up being very strong. I mean, he was at 10.1 yards per attempt. He made the crazy fluke play to O'Neal. Um, but, like, it wasn't like a it wasn't like a crazy, dungy, like, early season or, or uh, what was it, the NC State game where he was just right. unstoppable. Um, so, like, this wasn't Syracuse just getting lucky or Syracuse only beating West Virginia because they were missing some players. Like, Syracuse just looked like the better roster overall. And I think that was, like, kind of what we learned this year. This team just really rounded out into form um, at midseason, and they just really uh, – they looked the part. Um, and next year, I mean, I, honestly, you know, some people – we saw some 
some outside people talking yesterday, especially when there were those stupid. Not even I wouldn't call Babers the Miami rumors. It was like somebody mentioned it said, once. Someone mentioned it, and then it was like, oh, maybe this could be a thing, even though there was no indication of that. Just Miami just went with with Manny Diaz, which is you know an interesting move. Um, but they got it done quick. Um, Syracuse, like on paper, should be better next year, which is which is scary. And that's not just being like a, a homer. Losing Dungey's big. Um, and there's no guarantee that Tommy DeVito steps in and is like a better player or even as good a player right away. But overall, we bring back like almost every major contributor outside of a handful and add a very promising quarterback and then have like a lot of freshmen who played giant roles this year turned into sophomores and sophomores into juniors. So like this is a pretty attractive program, I think, for the for the next two or three years, like at minimum. And obviously you, you see teams bottom out really quickly in college football, but uh, we're really well situated uh, for a bit here, I think. Yeah, I mean, I you spoke to kind of some of those depth, uh, like changes just from a perception standpoint. That a few years ago, you know, you, you lose two of your starting defensive linemen, and, and like SU screwed, they can't generate any pressure. Instead, SU generated a ton of pressure. Kendall Coleman picked up three sacks, which was. Uh, I, I think an, an underrated performance in the game, and like Dungey got the MVP, and I think it was well deserved. But if it wasn't going to him, I think it should have gone to to Coleman, who really played um, a huge role in just bum rushing the offensive line for West Virginia. He took advantage, in particular, uh, of the inexperience under center um, between Lowe and, and 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 Allison. I think you know th- that people to bring up Greer um, and and bring up Jennings. You know, as, as notable absences, those are all fair. But I, I again, and we talked about this before the game, um, not on the podcast because at the time we didn't know who was going to be gone. But uh, McKinley Williams is our is our second best run stopper, um, and Alden Robinson was our best uh, pass rusher. So losing those two players was you know nothing to to just ignore. Obviously, Antoine Cordy being out um, was also problematic. Trill Williams not playing. Um, something else that could have been problematic. So it's not as if SU was at full strength and just completely laid waste, you know, to, to West Virginia's B team and doesn't deserve credit for it. I think, you know, this, like we had said um, before the balls and, and even midseason, like nobody cares how you got to 10-3, and three, just the fact that you did. Um, and I think there, there, there are things to, to be a little concerned about next year. Um, I'm not concerned about replacing uh, Jamal Custis, not to slight Custis, but I think we just have such a depth of receiver um, right now. Um, I, I think that offensive line and defensive line are going to be just two, not trouble areas, but two areas that, that might take a few games. And luckily, you know, our season shapes out schedule-wise that, that we can kind of uh, take those steps to, to figure out who's going to be the starter and get those guys some uh, valuable reps. I think one of the other more valuable things that happened in this game was Getting Tristan Jackson and Abdul Adams in the game and seeing just how impactful they were, I think I was. I thought if we saw them, it would be limited. Uh, I was stunned by how how important they were and how crisp both of them looked in this offense, despite not having played in it in a game um, ever. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Obviously, Jackson I think came in a little later, but we it seemed like we just kind of fully integrated them into the offense, and they didn't really take away from anyone else's stuff. It was just more guys in the rotations. Um, Adams obviously had the two touchdowns. He he didn't do much else, but we we had some trouble with like the the short yardage running uh, for a bit there. Um, Jackson looked really smooth. Had that one really nice touchdown catch. Another nice catch. Um, I think what ended with three for twenty seven. Yeah. So like it's just more weapons and the receiving core, like you said, is, is even without Custis. Um, we need a guy like that to stretch a field. Maybe Jackson helps out in that regard. But 
Like it's it's such a fun group. Um, we'll miss Riley for sure because he's been he's had so many big games for us over the last couple of years. But well, he's got one like, more. Oh right, he does have one more. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're we are we are really really well stacked with with Taj Harris with Jackson. Um, with uh, just a litany of guys who come up, came up big this year, even like a guy like Sherrod Johnson, who I feel like didn't play much earlier in the year and has had some nice games down the stretch. Like guys have just gotten the chance to prove themselves and have kind of come in and out, and we we've done a really nice job of integrating everyone. Um, it feels like even when it's just with two weeks left, and you're like, all right, well now we have these two transfers who can play. Um, I thought Babers did a nice job of like seeing what they could do without like having them disrupt the offense in any way. It seemed pretty seamless putting them in. Yeah, 100%. Like, I, I thought he was doing a little gamesmanship and being a little coy early on um, when he was talking about, you know, not necessarily incorporating them and, and making. And I, I think he did pay deference to the guys that had been there. But at the same time, like, you know, you mentioned in the short yard and stuff, like, it's not like Syracuse was, was running all that well close to the goal line. Giving it to somebody new who they didn't necessarily have a scouting report on, I thought it was fine. Like, Adams ran, you know, in some of those spots like a man on fire. And that was the sort of thing that, like, we saw from Jarvie and Howard here and there. But we have struggled with. So having Adams, like, I think Adams is going to end up splitting, probably evenly splitting carries with Neil as the starter for the most part. Um, And Neil had an impressive game in and of itself. But, like, I I think Adams does fill a role we didn't necessarily have filled before. I also loved what we saw from Aaron Hackett. Um, second half in general just saw like some real like breakout performances from a bunch of guys that we hadn't seen much of in the first half. Custis and Harris were the only guys to caught passes in the first half. So to see that list grow um, quite a bit in the second, I, I think was part of you know why Dungey had much more success throwing the ball. It was 14 to 16 in the second half, uh, which I mean, he's not someone known necessarily for his accuracy. And I felt like he just made such better decisions um, over the final 30 minutes. But yeah, I, I think you're not going to see a ton of tight end usage, but Hackett, like was I know a couple of people tweeted this out that you know uh, Hackett made a couple of like you know Mark Bavaro type plays and just was an absolute bruiser on that one um, catch up the seam uh, that was really big towards you know extending that drive and helping us you get a score out of it so I, I think I'm really like you, like you said I'm really excited to see a lot of these guys I'm I'm curious what happens with the wide receiver position over the next couple of years because I do feel like we're starting to develop a little bit of a backlog. Um, I mean, there's guys like Cameron Jordan who've yet to see the field, RTB, um, you know, Ed Hendricks comes back from injury, uh, Cooper Lutz. There's there's so many players that have, like, yet to even see the field. So we could really have, like, I mean, we're not going to run eight wide, wide receivers out there, obviously, but we do have the depth um, to to deal with some injuries and, and, and really, you know, mix up the looks um, and, and, and confuse a, a hell of a lot of defenses. So... I'm, uh, I'm very optimistic there. I'm optimistic about the defense, too. Um, Tywell Richards, I mentioned this in the, the post that I wrote last week, um, just about, um, you know, kind of providing a 2019 preview. But, like, seeing guys like Kingsley Jonathan step up in the game. Um, Andre Sisco obviously stepped up just as he had all year, led the team in tackles with nine. Um, Richards has been able to, to get a couple opportunities late in this season and, and made the most of them. Six tackles in this game with a sack. Um, and then that clutch uh, interception from uh, Alan Pritzinger, the guy who was uh, injured his senior year of high school, uh, came in as a running back, switched over to defensive back. Um, you and I even said in the preseason we weren't sure how long that was going to stick. Um, obviously stuck just fine. <laughs> Ends up that uh, 
that he got that pick and you know that's kind of the benefit of, of switching an offensive player over to defense um, is that they're probably going to have better hands um, they might not be as good of a, a coverage guy but you know he, he was the beneficiary of a nice tip so plenty of other guys in there uh, that, that had a real impact but uh, those are just some of the names that I, I at least uh, wanted to highlight you know go was both recapping this game and going into next year yeah, it was really uh, it was cool to see Stritzinger uh, out there. Even earlier in the game, um, it was a little blaring to see him because you're, you're not used to seeing him out there in big spots. But he had the the big pick, which you know it felt kind of right to him. But you, you only get what you what what you know presents itself to you. And he did plenty with it afterward too. Yeah, really nice return. I thought the best player in the entire game for SU. Obviously, Dungey got the MVP award, and no one's ever complained about that. I thought Kendall Pullman was the best player on the field. Um, he had the three sacks. He was so disruptive. Uh, especially in missing Alton Robinson, that was a little bit of a concern, but we got plenty of pressure on them all game. Tyrell Richards had a sack, Ryan Guthrie had a sack, and then uh, I think, I think yeah, I think we just had the five, but Coleman, uh, I think all three of his tackles in the games were sacks, um, and he had to bother hurry. So he was just really disruptive, and I believe he has another year as well. Yeah, he has another year. I think that gives him, I think he's got 10 or 11 sacks in the year now, so we ended up with two double-digit sack guys this season. Yeah, and then a handful of, I mean, like Kenny Ruff had had a handful. Uh, we had like two or three other guys, like in like the four to six range, which is really impressive that you have that much. You have that many guys who can be disruptive, and that the defense has to worry about versus just having like the one guy like Alton who gets most of the headlines coming off the edge. It's it's way harder to deal with, and that's that's what we looked for this year. We looked for interceptions uh, coming into the year. We looked for sacks, disruptive plays that could end drives early, even if we uh you know don't have the best coverage units, and it really paid off this season. I thought the defense. Um, kind of transformed into what we were looking for out of uh, out of the defense that we were pairing with this offense. Um, and when you have guys like Andre Sisto, who was an All-American, um, Jeffrey, who had a, a huge turnaround this year, um, even, you know, then, then the Kylan Whitner, who I thought played a lot better this season. Uh, and then the defensive line, I thought, was just lights out for most of the year, even though we really didn't know what to expect from most of them. Um, just a really impressive uh, development during the season. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the offense is going to get the headlines, but it's really this defense and the way they played, that bend and don't break style. Uh, I mean, West Virginia, not to take away from them, I know we said SU definitely clearly won, but, you know, West Virginia, if they were able to punch in a couple of those, you know, deep drives, this could have been a much more uh, competitive game late. But defense continued to do its bend but don't break act. Um, they let West Virginia pick up some big gains, but were able to hold their ground for the most part um, in the red zone, force them to settle for some field goals. And, you know, th- that's how you get an opportunity um, deep in, in, in the Mountaineers' zone, you know, down just one point going into the fourth quarter. And, you know, SU kind of quickly took the lead and then um, suffocated from there. Like, this is the sort of defense that we, we wanted under Scott Schaefer and we had for very brief glimpses. Um, we had this when Scott Schaefer was a defensive coordinator, um, but this is just such a more athletic group. Um, this is such a, a more game-changing group um, than what we'd had in those previous seasons. I mean, I think I saw SU tweeted this was the most sacks we've ever had in a season with 43. Uh, I missed that tweet, but, I mean, I'd be a little surprised that, like, the uh, Dwight Franey team wouldn't have been up there since he had, he had like, almost, I think he had, like, high teens uh, in 2001, but maybe I don't know much about the rest of that defensive line. Um, but yeah, all year we were we were just super, we were very good at getting to the quarterback, which was uh, not a strength last season or the or the year or, before. Yeah, or, or the year before that. <laughs> no, we uh, <laughs> we actually yeah I think we had more sacks this year. I looked at the tweet. Tweet is yeah. In '85 they had 41 in one season. This was 43. 
so this is the new record. But yeah, we had we had more sacks this season than we did in the last two seasons combined. Yeah, that's pretty it's pretty impressive, and and I believe it because it just became so much a part of the defense. And um, I'm going to say Brian Ward probably uh, probably going to be back next year. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the the, the fire Ward train <laughs> has to uh, has to derail at some point. Uh, I almost hope it continues. Like I hope, I hope we get the Brian, the Fire Ward things like well into that season, just as it made me laugh all year. Even like when it was obvious, uh, most of the time it was like an obvious joke by the end of the year. But um, I always appreciate the uh, the memes. Well, admittedly, like yeah, like the, the memes became became a great part of this season. I think that, admittedly, after game one, I was very concerned about Brian Ward's job security. Oh yeah, there were legitimate questions. Like we're not people weren't being ridiculous. Yeah, like yeah, I think I mean game one I even said, like, I don't know, like should we fire Ward? Like I, I, I was definitely not convinced anymore that like Ward was a solution. But you know what? Like what That happens I, when Tim Buster like just dosed the town on you. Like somehow. That, that'll raise some questions. Yeah. He uh Tim Lester, you know, d- did everything with his offense at Western Michigan that you wanted him to do with his offense at Syracuse. Um but then after that, like you said, SU's defense kinda of figured it out and I think uh I'm I'm very encouraged for next year um, because of that. But uh, I guess moving on from football for now, at least uh, the basketball team. We uh, we've won two straight games uh, to you know beating no one of any real particular acclaim. But I still think that like you know what teams like this need need those confidence boosting wins and like no they're not a young team by any means they're not a team that, like needs to get a few under their belt. But I feel like they are a momentum team, and you know, scoring eighty plus in two straight games uh, should hopefully get them a little more, you know, back on track. And I think seeing better play from from players like Pascal Chukwu, you know, he had thirteen rebounds in that Arkansas State game, only had six in the St. Bonnie's game, but nonetheless, like getting a little bit more on track. You know, Frank Howard getting a little bit more involved offensively. Tyus Battle finding a stroke more, like. Again, Arkansas State and St. Bonaventure are, are, are nothing to like, you know, write home about. But um, after two embarrassing games against Old Dominion and, and Buffalo, I think it's good to, to to get those bounce back contests going into the Notre Dame game against a Notre Dame team that uh, definitely pesky at home, but also reeling after losing to, I believe it was Coppin State the other day. Yeah, um, I, I feel pretty good about things. Like obviously Arkansas State and St. Bonaventure, but Bonnies have played us really tough the last couple of years. I don't think this is a very good Bonnie team. They're four and nine, but um, after those two, the Buffalo State and the ODU games, two teams that I do think, and Buffalo's definitely good ODU, I think is probably like a pretty decent mid-major. Yeah. Um, but the Bonnies have played us so tough the last couple of years. I think that feels uh, that feels pretty good either way. Arkansas State is not a bad team, um, and we looked really sluggish in the first half, which was uh, a little disconcerting. But we played maybe our second, our best half of basketball in the second against them, winning I think forty-four to sixteen in that half. Uh, and then the Bonnies, we just steamrolled the whole game. So it was nice to see us put together back-to-back performances like that because we really, like, even against these, like, lesser teams that we've beaten earlier in the year, um, it hasn't looked great all the time. Cornell was, like, kind of a grind. Uh, Colgate was uh, kind of a grind for a bit. Like, this team hasn't been great about just putting teams away, and it was nice to see over that second half in Arkansas State and then the whole Bonnies game, just see them kind of kind of assert their, their dominance. Um Battle, I thought, was, was awesome in Sabani's. I think it was a perfect 8 for 8 from the field. Um, we're seeing more out of Hughes. O'Shea was quiet in the last game, but was better in Arkansas State. Um, I'm really interested. I, I don't. I feel like it, it hasn't been, like, an obvious, like, it hasn't been, like, the thing that fixed it. But 
it is interesting that this has kind of come about since we made the change to put Doley at the at the start as a starting center, even if he's like, you know, even if it was Chukwu who had a the bigger impact in that first game, or and Doljai he had a nice game against uh, against the Bonnies, but wasn't like, you know, one of like those storing mid-teens points outings like he had late last year. But it does seem like, you know, maybe that has made some kind of a difference, even if it, it isn't quite obvious yet. But we were all, like, wondering if something like that could happen even after Bayheim kind of made fun of the notion. Yeah, that does seem like typical Bayheim, unfortunately. and Or fortunately, I guess, depending on your uh, your state of mind, where uh, he, he mocks an idea and then proceeds to, to embrace it and, and to do some great result. Um, and again, opponent adjusted here. Um, SU, the numbers don't look great just from a you know computer standpoint. Um, nine and four isn't great, obviously, but at the same time, like Ken Palm says, they're still a top thirty team. Um, a lot of people are pretty high on this team's resume right now, which again, you know, props to Kip Wellman for putting together yet another schedule that's going to help us out. No, you don't want to lose to Buffalo. Um, you do need to pick up the pace on some of those, um, you know, tier one, tier two wins, but. Uh, nonetheless, I, I think where if we can go ten and eight in ACC play, I feel pretty good. Um, especially if some of those ten wins are against the top half and the top you know quarter of this league. So I, I'm I, I'm excited about it. I think that you know we haven't turned a corner yet, but I, I think we're starting to round into some sort of form. Uh, we do have three players who can score you know fourteen, fifteen points a game. Um, I think it's similar to last year. It'd be nice. If, if, you know, Frank Howard joined that group or if Dolajai could even get closer to like 9 to 10 points a game. But uh, I have some faith we'll get there. Um, I know we might not have to worry about scoring as much against Notre Dame. Uh, I did mistakenly say they lost to Coppin State earlier. Uh, they did not lose to Coppin State. They almost did, but uh, ended up pulling out the win. Notre Dame is not necessarily the, uh, the force to be reckoned with that some people thought they could have been um, earlier this season. Obviously, they already lost to Radford, so take that for what it's worth but uh you know without uh rex fluger they are uh they're definitely not as good um tj gibbs is still going to be you know a, a pretty quality player juan uh durham among some others um still make notre dame you know a, a peskier opponent but i definitely feel a little bit better about this game um than i did even a week ago uh based on you know su's improvement and also seeing Notre Dame kind of start to play down a little bit to, to, to their opponents. Yeah, the, the Notre Dame start to the season is actually like kind of reminds me of ours. Like they've they struggled top of the state. They didn't look written as Binghamton, um, but they beat like Purdue. So it's uh it's been kind of a weird one for them. It's obviously very hard to play them at the Joy Center. Um but they're definitely pretty beatable. Um and it would be a nice way to dip, dip you know off to a, a decent start in ACC play. Um yeah so We'll see how that how that goes. There, uh, that's on the fifth, right? That's yeah. So we get a little bit of it's a Saturday. Oh, it's that Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. I mean, that, I think that's a good break. I sometimes I don't mind the uh, the, the closer games together because I feel like it keeps momentum going. But in this case, I, I think that you know we, we've only played like two games since the twenty second. I, I think it's I think it's fine to take a little bit of a breather. Um, and kind of recollect after um, what was a what was a pretty rough stretch in there. Yeah, especially because like obviously Frank Howard is still a work in progress. Like I don't mind having him get more time off uh, away from the court to to continue to get closer to the player that we we know he can be, which he hasn't really shown yet. So 
I think that's still uh, still a thing to watch for. Yeah, I, I am pretty bummed about Frank. I, we've talked about this too. Like, you know, after James's feature and some of the other things you read all off season, like it did seem like he was going to be a real impactful offensive player. His shot was was improved, and then you know, having having a leg injury can really hurt explosiveness and everything else. And uh, that's kind of where we're at with him now, where I feel like. We're just I don't I don't know when we're going to be able to turn this corner and and that's not a that's not his fault um, obviously it's not his fault he got injured by any means but um, I, I think that we are we still might be another few weeks away from him really being able to to get himself right physically and also you know mentally with that yeah hopefully this this time off will help and hopefully that you know by the grind of you know mid ACC season when we're playing those those crazy turnarounds he'll be. He'll be good to go. Otherwise, this could get ugly. But I think, you know, all things considered, considering we've lost some weird games, uh, three, I'd say three of the four losses. Actually, all four. Oregon doesn't look great right now. Um, none of the four losses look great. Buffalo is probably the best one, to be honest. Um, and hopefully the Bulls win like 30 games this year. Um, I think it's it's about as good a spot as you can be in, considering you're 9-4 with one ranked win. Um the metrics, like, the net rating, I think, were, like, 60th, which, like, doesn't sound great, but it feels like it could be a lot worse. Um, I think we're going to get a lot of benefit of the doubt. If if we turn around and win 10 or 11 ACC games, I think we'll be pretty solid. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think getting 10, I mean, 10 or 11, you're in. Um, I, I think the right nine, you're in. But, again, that also means, like, the right nine, but then, like, just losing the toss-up games and not losing any of, like, the, the bad games. So we'll, we'll get further into the ACC schedule in, in the coming weeks, um, both literally on the court and also on the podcast. But uh, some halftime here before we uh, continue our journey through, uh, through a little bit of annual recap stuff. So, uh, Dan, what were you drinking over this, uh, th- this lengthy holiday break? Um, I've actually had a decent amount over the last uh, couple weeks. Let me find the starting point here. Um, I had uh, the calling from Boulevard. Uh, not usually. I, I end up with the. I, I don't think I brought that up last week. Usually, I end up with the. Uh, What's the Tank Seven? Their saison, which is fantastic. Calling uh, was quite nice as well. Um, and their stuff's always pretty pretty good. Um, I had a, a Fata Morgana by Omnipolo. I went to Blind Tiger in New York, which is one of the better beer bars. So I was able to love Blind Tiger. A, n- a number of different things. This is a Swedish brewery. Omnipolo had not heard anything from them before. Um, the Fata Morgana was really, really good. Um, I had uh, from Evil Twin here in New York. I had a "If You Want the Rainbow, You've Got to Put Up with the Rain," a very classic long uh, Evil Twin title. Um, really nice IPA from them, um, and they have so much stuff out now around here since they opened their brewery and their brew pub. Um, from Finback, I had an Ultramarine. Uh, I believe it's a double IPA. Uh, Finback does a really nice job with like those juicy uh, East Coast IPAs. Um, I had a Super Session IPA number two from Lost and Sinus Liquids up in Vermont. Uh, they always do a, an awesome job as well. Uh, and then right now, I'm not at this moment, but in my fridge, uh, I've had a couple of the uh, Samoa this from Southern Tier upstate. Um, I've had a couple different like Samoa beers, like the chocolatey, coconutty, Stouts and quarters. This one's a stout. It's really, really good. Um, super drinkable. Uh, not it's sweet, but not too sweet. And definitely like hits a nice blend of like the the idea of getting that kind of Samoa 
take the, the Girl Scout cookie flavors without, like, pounding you over the head with them. Um, and for a stout, it's, like, super, super drinkable. So really enjoy that one. It's also at 10% and uh, kind of a dangerous, boozy one. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I fall victim to some of those here and there. Um, couple from me, and by couple I mean several. Um, I had from St. Arnold down in uh, Houston, uh, Divine Reserve number 16, their Old Ale. Um, I finally opened this one up from the brewery. It's their Brewer's Barrel Age Zesty Mounds. It's a coconut imperial stout um, with uh, orange zest. That uh, I, I was very doubtful of it, and it actually worked out pretty well. Um, the brewery does like an annual kind of uh, like Black Tuesday treatment contest where they have Reserve Society members and Hoarders members, um, you know, bring different treatment options to, uh, you know, kind of alter the beer a little bit. And then the winner gets uh, gets bottled. So this one was the one that won, I think, 20, it was 2016, but I didn't open it until this year. Um, and again, was very skeptical. The flavors would uh, hold up, and they definitely did. Um, swung over to Smog City while my parents were in town. Had uh, Animal House, their uh, their latest pale ale. Smog doesn't bottle any of their pale ales, but uh, they've tested out a few different ones on, on draft lately. And uh, yeah, this one in particular uh, really impressed me. Um, also had uh, from Smog, Rabbit Eyes. It was a uh, sour aged in, no, sorry, it was Saison aged in gin barrels. Actually had two gin barrel aged beers in the last couple of weeks. And uh, if it's a thing that's going to start catching on, it was very good. Um, what else did I have? I'm just cruising through. All right, Black Kisses from Monkish. Um, just another bottle of theirs that I had had around. Um, my buddy had brought over from Latitude 33 Brewing, uh, Brokini. was a uh, toasted coconut, um, hazy IPA. He also brought over from Revolution Brewing in uh, Chicago, Mineshaft Gap. was a cognac barrel-aged barley wine. Now, this was a very cognac-heavy beer um, in a great way. Uh, it was actually one of my favorite beers of the year um, that I had had anyway. Uh, good one to check out if you're ever in the Chicago area. I've uh, been drinking a bunch of uh, Stone Tropic Thunder Lager of late. Uh, it's an easy drink. And then on the gin barrel aids front, uh, I had a Hill Farmstead got out here with uh, their uh, brother Sonia uh, Saison. So, uh, yeah, that was my, uh, my last... Week and a half, two weeks in drinking. Awesome. Sorry, I was muted. <laughs> totally fine. We're keeping that in. Because Lewis, <laughs> Lewis isn't around this week. Lewis is in Florida. Shout out to Lewis. Um, yeah, we're not going to make him... We're not going to make him uh, edit from vacation. Definitely not. <laughs> Um, all right, so with the last time we have here, figure jump into some of the most commented posts of 2018 um, on the blog. Like I said to Dan beforehand, some of these are expected, some of these were not. Um, so starting with number one, um, Darius Baisley opts for G League and won't play for Syracuse, per report. Uh, that got 375 comments. <laughs> People were not pleased and turned into yelling at each other because that's kind of what happens in college sports. Yeah, this was like a perfect, uh, I think a perfect blend of like all, a ton of touchy issues. Like the, just, it happened to us and that's a very serious thing to happen. Um, it was our number one recruit. It was, you know, came with uh, very high expectations for the season. Um, 
it's a decision that, you know, makes some sense, but not like, you know, it's not an obvious thing. It's not like he's going to make millions. They're like, if he had gone to up to play overseas, I think it would have been handled a little, or it would have been taken maybe a little bit more easily. But either way, um, I think we're all pretty over it now, uh, now that the season started, even if basically would have helped. But um, yeah, very uh, fun for this to happen to us. <laughs> it is a very Syracuse thing. Um, the second most read article was to no surprise, uh, Sean's latest apology letter, uh, to America from Syracuse basketball. This has become a tradition, um, every time we, as a, uh, lesser seed manage to get to the sweet 16, hopefully we're not in this situation again this year. Hopefully we just end up with a seed that, uh, that's indicative of winning a couple games. But, uh, yeah, as always, Sean seems to strike the balance between appealing to, Syracuse fans and appealing to like the greater college basketball media that just seems to seems to get what Sean's saying and and not take it too personally. Um, the Buffalo game pissed off a lot of people, and <laughs> yeah, it somehow ended up being number three on this. Uh, so two out of the first three negative, but the rest of these are actually pretty positive. Um, I, it, it is a little sad that the Buffalo game uh, jumped Michigan State. <laughs> like, Michigan State came in for four. Well, people were... The, the problem with the Buffalo game is that people were enraged, and, and, and it started to get into the, like, Jim doesn't have it anymore tropes. And, like, as soon as you get into those, then, like, then, you know, people just kind of... You, you, you have the irrational defenders of Jim, and you have the irrational defenders of Jim that just start showing up. You also have the irrational Jim haters. Uh, that'll come out of the woodworks. There's a lot going on there. It's funny. I think you can criticize Jim Beheim without saying that he definitely has lost it based on two losses. Or, um, And I think you can also you know, maybe defend Jim Beheim without pretending like he is completely infallible. It's, it's, it's weird, but I think those are both true. I would agree. Um, number four was Syracuse stunned Michigan State. Uh, that was awesome. I had a lot of fun watching that game, even if I had my heart in my throat for the last like five to seven minutes of it. Um, Brandon Bayer, oh, Braden Bayer, excuse me, it should be a legend at SU. Um, even if I feel like half of SU fans have already like kind of moved on from that. Um, but yeah, he he's a guy who should live on in some sort of uh, you know folklore or oral history that we that we write up ten years from now about that game. I'm going to interject quick with something that has nothing to do with this, but I think you'll appreciate. It. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian and the rest of the Falcons, uh, I think both Falcons coordinators got fired. Where does Steve Sarkeesian serve as offensive coordinator in college next year? Uh, somewhere in the SEC. Hmm. It's very possible. USC's off the table. <laughs> oh, God, that'd be so funny. <laughs> yeah, USC's already off the table because Cliff Kingsbury ended up um, in, in, in the perfect place for him. Um, Turning down Houston, apparently. Which, actually, would Houston hire Sark? As their head coach? That'd be so dumb. That'd be so dumb. They would do it. I mean, it, actually, the, the perfect marriage would be send Holgo to Houston, Sark goes to West Virginia. Oh, my God. Actually, no, that's... That, that's, that's, like being, that's a terrible marriage. Yeah, that no, I know. That's so culturally not... Being fully serious, like alcoholism is a real thing, and I don't, I don't want to see that happen to Sark, um, because that would be like just a really shitty like situation for him to be in as a person. 
the whole hold, Holderson leaving it for Houston thing seems to have legs, and I really I'm worried about how West Virginia fans are going to handle that. Because like it seems like they're kind of over him, but you also don't want to lose your touch to a group of five, even if it's a group of five with like a really really high ceiling. Well, I already said the reason that he's leaving is because he doesn't want to lose the Syracuse and bowl games anymore. Yeah, and we're we're probably not going to play Houston in very many bowl games. So it makes sense. Unless unless Houston gets themselves to a uh, to an access ball next year, then we'll see you guys there. What does what does West Virginia do if they lose him? Uh, nothing because they don't have like a like they're screwed because like I mean we've been victim to this timing before that like what if you lose a guy like around New Year's you don't have any recourse I mean granted the the early signing period helps in this case but you don't really have a lot of recourse. Um, when it comes to like fixing the situation, all of the viable candidates are gone. Um, the rising coordinators are like, yeah, I, I wouldn't even know. Like, they probably, and to be honest, I think they'd probably end up hiring uh, Neil Brown. That, that'd be a great hire, I think. It's, it's, something's going on with Neil Brown. He maybe just doesn't interview well or, or something, or he's, I don't know, his personality at all. He should be a head coach at a, a Power Five. So if they like fell in Neil Brown, they could be doing a lot worse. Um, the whole situation's just weird, though. Yeah, and like Neil Brown, or Seth Latrell, I could see too. Latrell would be good, but like Neil Brown's from Kentucky; he's right nearby. Yeah, but like he doesn't. I, I think the problem with that people have with Brown is that like they don't necessarily know what he can do from like a staff and like recruiting standpoint. Like he's a very good coach. He, he is. He is still fairly young. He's thirty eight. Um, you know, he played. He played at Kentucky and UMass. He's from Kentucky. Um, most of his experience has been at Troy. Uh, his time as Kentucky offensive coordinator wasn't, like, amazing. Uh, yeah, he doesn't necessarily, like, other than Troy, he doesn't necessarily have, like, a huge track record. I'm fine with it. And, like, I, I think the Brown is going to be very successful, but I could see how, like, you know, uh, programs that are focused on the wrong things could get a little too worked up over a couple of those factors. Yeah. Also, Louisville apparently not wanting him because he's a he went to Kentucky once, even though he didn't graduate from there. Yeah. And their AD went and their AD's from Kentucky. But anyway, I I see. (laughs) If I were them, I would think that the fact that he left Kentucky would be a positive. Yeah. He he hated Kentucky so much that he went to UMass. Whole thing's hilarious. Dumb. Uh, Number five. We're not going to talk about this one. Uh, Greek life is part of Syracuse's larger cultural problem. Um, It'll come up at some point again. We'll have to talk about it, so we'll we'll save it for that. Yeah, I'll just repost that article. This is actually one of the this is actually one of my favorite articles I've ever written here, um, even though it's not about Syracuse sports. Uh, but a lot of people were annoyed by that one. A lot of people liked it too, though. Um, number six NCAA tournament Syracuse sixty Arizona State fifty six. Uh, that was a great game. Arizona State was a very good offense, and we smothered them into oblivion. Uh, that was kind of. When I started thinking ahead a couple rounds back in March, because I did feel like, okay, if, I, if they can do this to ASU, and ASU seemed like a bad matchup for us, um, I was very curious about what could happen next. Yeah, it really set the stage for that run. Um, ASU was averaging, I think, over 80 points a game. They they had been scoring pretty well all season, even when they like you know lost to some good teams. They had spent a little bit of time at number one, I think, earlier in the year. Um Obviously, they weren't a number one team as you know they played. They fell into a playing game, but the fact that we held them to fifty six points really impressive and kind of set the set the the stage for what we did the next couple rounds and even into that Duke game. Agreed, agreed. Uh, number seven, Syracuse football finally returns to the top twenty five. 
Um, this was the rare, like, non-game related, um, well, sort of non-game related, non-like news related um, item on here. It was a Sunday afternoon. Everyone was super excited about the NC State game, and then we find out we're back in the top twenty-five for the first time in seventeen years. Um, everybody was pretty psyched. Ends up that it was not a short-term thing, and ended up being a very long-term thing. Um, and could end up extending into next season, for all we know. Oh yeah, I mean, I think we're a pretty good bet to to uh, start the once like the the previews roll around. People are like, oh yeah, Tommy DeVito's a thing, and we're returning so many players. Like, we're probably going to start the year in the fifteen twenty range. It's fine to me. If I had to guess, which is awesome. Yeah, I uh, I didn't think we'd live in this reality. Thank you, Dino Babers. Uh, number eight, Syracuse beats West, Western Michigan, but leaves more questions than answers. Uh, we talked about this earlier. Um, tangentially about how weird that first game was um, I had some questions and I think a lot of us did had some questions for why Dungy was pulled so early um, you know I, I think Dino is a much more like malleable guy than a lot of people might give him credit for as a coach I think like he's adapted his system to Syracuse I think he's adapted some things to Syracuse's personnel I think the system itself wasn't really meant for a guy like Dungy and he figured out a way to make it work I think he also figured out that if you have a short leash on Dungey, it's only going to hurt what you're going to get out of him. So I, I think that this was a, I think this was something that Dino learned from and everybody else in the program learned from too. Yeah, I think one of his great strengths is that Dino does not seem married to anything in terms of like what he's doing. Obviously, he has an offensive system that works really well, but he's not married to only running it one way right. or only doing things a certain way. He has shown really good adaptability since coming to Syracuse and even taking the Syracuse job when he had no connections up here. Um, it was not like, you know, it was not discussed as like this great job. Um, he's just, uh, really done an awesome job of, of kind of going, rolling with the punches, staying even keeled, never getting too worked up or anything. And his handling of the quarterback situation, I think was pretty indicative of that all year. And even, even right up to the bowl game where he said, like he revealed with that Chris Carson interview, um, that he, you know, it was a really close race all season. And that should make us all excited because if, if DeVito was legitimately, that close, and I don't think Babers would have said it if it wasn't the case, considering, you know, Dungy's status as our senior quarterback and, like, one of our greatest players in the last couple decades. Um, it's That's got to be uh, exciting for most of us going forward. Yeah, I, I'm 100% with you. I think that the, the fact that he was able to... The fact that, that Dungy needed to pretty much, like, fight off DeVito as the starter all year. I mean, take the Notre Dame game out of the equation, but, like, DeVito did look impressive in, in, in his... You know, time on the field other than that game, and and I think it does bode really well, especially again given the uh, the contributors around him that we mentioned earlier. And they uh, both handled it well, considering. Oh like, yeah. Not to, not to not to cast aspersions at all with like the Justin Field situation or a lot of these other quarterbacks transferring, but I think with less of a deft touch, like Devito's a guy who could go start at most programs, or uh, and and obviously he knows it's his job next year, but. You know, you could have seen him getting fed up, especially in some of the games that Dungey hasn't played well. Um, but I think Babers really just kind of rode the situation about as gracefully as you could, because it could have turned ugly, and it, it really didn't at all. Yeah, I know there were like the rumors of like them not being like super tight at one point. I feel like it's funny now to look back at those and go like, I don't really understand how that's even possible because you see them on the field, you see them on the sidelines. Like the two of them are seem extremely close at this point, and like. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's it, it looks... Dino said it enough times. I think DeVito and Dungy mentioned it enough times. It, it's far from it's far from acting. There, there, there's no way that at this point, like, there, there's any acting going on. Like, they're actually friends. And I think that, that DeVito 
has learned a lot from Dungy. I think that's going to benefit him next year. Yeah, if that if there, I mean, there was. I think most of us probably heard those rumors at some point, and like there might have been something there that would be like a pretty natural thing. But like you said, I think if that was the case at some point, I think it, it went away, and and Baber's handling of both of them and being transparent and and keeping the competition open, I think probably brought out the best in both of them and made made it so that they could support each other when when they were given their their opportunities. Agreed. Um, number nine. Let's hope Syracuse football didn't miss didn't just miss its opportunity. Spoiler: It did not. Um, <laughs> it was. Uh, this was after the pit game, where uh, SU looked a little out of sorts in that game. Obviously. Um, How weird is it that we lost two games in a row this year? It is considering we only lost three total, which in and of itself is an odd thing to say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, th- th- this was a this was an article written. And admittedly, in other years, would have been a, a, a harbinger of things to come. And I thought it, yeah, thought it we, might have been seen, here. We had seen this play play out. And obviously, in some of those other years, like it's felt like more like we were exposed as like a team that wasn't actually that good. This was two really like tough losses in a row. Right. Um, but still, like we, we all we all heard like the footsteps, and luckily the footsteps ended up like not really being an actual entity. Was glad to to see that. Um, and then number ten. Uh, Syracuse fans shouldn't worry about losing Dino Babers this year. They should be terrified about next year. Uh, this is another uh, winner from Sean, who uh, who accurately kind of spelled out how this uh, this off season's coaching search was going to go. Um, I, I think the I think the extension for Dino is great. I think you know we'll, we're not going to know what that number is for a while. We might not even know that number until after he's potentially gone. Uh, but I, I I hope Dino's around for a while. I think that. You know, the more success that, that he brings here, it's only going to make those calls louder. I think, you know, everyone should have their eye on the USC job and really be rooting for USC to win at least eight games this coming season. Uh, because if it's not USC, like, there's not another clear... There really isn't another clear gig out there. Uh, Auburn's the other one that concerns me. See, I think Dino's smart enough to realize that there is no winning at Auburn. Yeah, the problem is Auburn is the, that school that will pay whatever they need to pay if they think he's the guy. Right. Um, they have very, very deep pockets, and we obviously don't know the specifics of Dino's contract, but I think I think we can assume it's it's you know, let's say between three and a half, four million a year ish, like on the on the low end even. Right. Um, if it's even that, like Auburn can pay a total of six, seven million a year, and that's just tough to compete with. And if he really wants a like national title. Uh, shot like Auburn was almost died in the playoff with two losses last year, so that's a tough situation. But on the other hand, like like you said, if you look at Auburn and how they've handled Gus Malzahn, where they were apparently asking him to like get rid of contract clauses and buyouts, like no, that's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous way to handle a coaching situation. Um, so you hope that that's like something where he looks at that and says like it's a great job. I don't want to deal with that. Right. And or, and or it could be a legend in Central New York. Yeah, um, and then beyond those, like. There aren't other top jobs like Ohio State. I think Ryan Day's gonna do a good job there, um, and obviously, even if he doesn't, I think he's gonna get at least a couple of years. Um, Florida State could be concerning, maybe yeah. with Tagger. He's not a Florida guy, which doesn't really matter all the time. But I think that'll have some. There'll be some hangups there. I think if Tagger um, doesn't make the doesn't make a bowl game next year, he's gone. I, I think Tagger was probably pretty close to being gone this year. I, like I closer than that. most one-year coaches, which is ridiculous. But and I think Tiger, there's a very good chance he turns that around. But yeah, they uh, it, there there aren't that many uh, you know 
bona fide powerhouse jobs that open up it ever. Like there aren't just there just aren't that many in general. But um, probably those are probably the three that jump out as things that could come open, short of like the whole like Saban retires and Dabo takes over Alabama thing that people think will happen eventually. But I, I don't see Saban retiring in the next two years. No, I agree with you. Oh, cool. I, I think that there are plenty of other articles you can mention. Um, for those who missed these uh, year-in-review posts, I had this one. There was one about my favorite articles from the staff. Um, another one about my favorite articles that I wrote that you can care or not care about. I, I mean, if you want to read it, great, because I took some time to do it. But other than that, uh, yeah, I, I think that there's... It was a fun year. We said we, we, had, we had two really big highs along with a bunch of other uh, medium highs. But a uh, fun season overall. I mean, I know this encompasses two different academic years, but a uh, another fun year of Syracuse Athletics. I know, uh, Dan, you've been the longest tenured person around here, uh, now that Sean is not a full-time uh, participator. Anything, any, any lasting things that you want to say here in, in, after, at the end of uh, Noon's Magician year number 12? No, I think this was a, a really cool year. I think we... Um, and I'm like, you know, I do the podcast and I'm in Slack and like, but otherwise I'm like kind of looking in from half the outside. Like I'm in, I'm involved, but, uh, I'm not making like on the ground decisions, but I think, uh, we've really kind of rounded into form in terms of like people covering the individual teams and people have kind of fallen into like really comfortable spots in terms of, of covering the teams, uh, in a unique way. Um, I think it's awesome that the community has stayed very strong, um, and, and even grown. We, we see that with the, the cheese tits for kids again this year, which obviously I don't think anyone expected to like eclipse the Texas Bowl thing because that was just such a spur-of-the-moment thing and, and such a unique situation. But if it's a thing where we're donating, if we could raise you know, 15, 20 grand every time we go to a bowl game and get some, some kids there, I think that's an amazing thing that looks like it's becoming a tradition, and hopefully it's a tradition in that our football team goes to bowls all the time. <laughs> um I, it's just been uh, just been really cool to, to stay involved for, I mean, for me since like 2010 um, and just see the community continue to thrive and, and the site have a really, really great year. Thank you for your contributions. That's always, Dan. They are always, yes. always appreciated. Yes, I'm, I'm thrilled to, to be hanging around and, and interacting with people on Twitter and, and uh, helping out with the, the jokes and the garbage. <laughs> And, and, and I want to thank everybody else, too, for listening, for reading, for all that. I, I know I mentioned it on Twitter um, in several different ways um, today, the 31st, for those listening. Um, but did want to thank everybody for listening. I think, you know, thanks again to Lewis for really, uh, really helping elevate what we do here and uh, on the podcast and making this a lot more listenable. Dan and I have had a lot of fun with this over the years, um, and I think that uh, the one thing that was missing was kind of that, that slight production quality uptick uh, to, to help bring you into the jokes and garbage um, as much and have as much fun with it as we do. I think that's, I mean, at least according to the listener numbers, um, it's been working. So uh, we'll keep doing what we're doing here and uh, hope to hope to get a lot more feedback from everybody, too. Like, you know, feel free to tell us what, what you want more of, what you want less of, though we might not listen to the less part. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> <We've>... Yes, there will <laughs> be no there will be no fewer if anything, we're gonna go. We're gonna double down on Tulane. I, I, I think we we our Syracuse football team is rolling. We don't need to 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 fetch about the team. So Tulane, we're on you. 2019, uh, Willie Fritz, onward and upward. <laughs> uh, I know uh, Fear the Wave actually like went to the Camping World Bowl. Wait, really? That's <laughs> yeah, went that. went to the Camping World Bowl and uh, they sent me a picture from 
like they were hanging around for the post game and everything. Like they sent me a picture from it, and they, they, uh, you know, so they want to return the favor for uh, like fan tourism with the others program. So it's just, it's a real shame that uh, it's a real shame that their bowl was like so far ahead of ours. Because if it was like a day or two, I think we could have had a nice like let's get as many Syracuse fans to go to that bowl because <laughs> you could get in for like three bucks. And it, hopefully we we find ourselves in a similar situation where we're playing like a couple days apart and can go and support Tulane weirdly and have no one understand what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that that's the goal for next year. Get, get Tulane to the same city um, at, at, within a reasonable couple days. Yeah, if we're like all right, so we'll be in like the Cotton Bowl and we'll say Tulane can be in like the Heart of Dallas or whatever that's called now. The I think that's the uh, the like first responders uh, bowl. First responders. <laughs> Support the troops, armed forces. Cancellation Bowl. America Bowl. Um, yeah, no, wait, no, that was the one that got canceled. <laughs> that really sucks. I feel so bad for those fans. I, like, do, I, I know people are like, oh, who cares? It's Boston College Boise. I'm like, yeah. And, and I, I know there probably weren't that many fans there, but the ones who were there flew a long way. Right. Both of them flew a very long way. Upwards of $1,000 to go make a weekend of this to see their teams. And, like, that's just, that's just like garbage. You had to find a way to play that game, so... On the bright side, yeah, Steve Adazio that... didn't go seven and six this year. No, he did not. He went, he went seven and five. Uh, I can't wait for I can't wait for them to go six and six next year and for them to fire Adazio and have BC fans being like, "We have to hire Babers." <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> I'm sure you That's guys going, will get around. One guy would be like, "We're gonna go poach Babers." That's the thing Boston College can definitely do. That's a thing. A Boston. That's a thing that Boston College fans are definitely going to try to do. It's not going to happen, but. <laughs> Anyway, um, this was fun as always, Dan. Yes. Anyway, hope you uh, enjoy your New Year's Eve. You as well, and to everybody listening out there, um, hope you enjoyed past tense. Yes, hope everyone makes it. Yeah, hope, hope everyone enjoys. Hope everyone is safe, um, and happy New Year to all. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on wherever else you listen to this podcast, and go orange. Go orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.